Hi, that's my friend Chris Ford, a.k.a. The Objective Geek. My name is Sean Shaler. This is Avatar, The Last Podcasters. Yeah, it's weird to have you down there for once. This is Avatar, The Last Podcasters, but big <laughs> that's news. That's no, <laughs> Chris, we're not marked as explicit anywhere. <laughs> Actually, fun miniature story in a moment. But this is a huge day because we are finally, after like two and a half years of podcasting total or something like that, we are finally getting to Legend of Korra, book one, chapter one. It starts today. And that is very important because today also coincides with, uh, you know what? I can't say that yet because I didn't even ask you how you are. Chris, first, how are you? Cliffhanger. I'm doing relatively decent compared to um, you know other issues going on in the world. That is a nice way to put it. It has very Brian Konitzko of you to put it that way. No, I joke about it, but it was really nicely worded. We'll touch on that more in a second. Um, Chris, thanks for being here. I know we're double recording and it's really late, but it was a very big deal uh, to both of us, I think, that we record this today because tomorrow is a special day, or today, when you actually listen to this, is a special day because The Legend of Korra is officially on Netflix as of today. After four weeks of Avatar The Last Airbender earlier this year, ranked number one show for like four consecutive weeks, which is amazing. So they went out and they grabbed Legend of Korra, and you can watch it all on Netflix as of Friday in America. Friday, August 14th, 2020. And we both obviously highly recommend that you go do that as soon as humanly possible. Chris, thoughts on Korra on Netflix? I'm excited for people to watch this. I'm excited for people, for new fans to watch it who are new fans of Avatar because I'm, I'm curious. One thing, Legend of Korra is critically acclaimed. Like, no doubt about it. Like It has plenty of nominations. It is one of the best cartoons there ever was and, and is. But there's a certain set of Avatar fandom who hates Legend of Korra. I think nostalgia plays a little bit part of it. And so I'll be curious how new fans um, react to it who don't have the same nostalgia for Avatar. Uh, nostalgia absolutely plays a factor. I've got a whole room full of nostalgic stuff that is probably actually bad in reality behind me, so I totally get it. But I'm excited. I hope those people all give it a separate chance, another chance, now 10 years removed or whatever from the original content. It's time they give it another chance. So that's great Netflix news. It's so exciting. And we're so excited that it timed out well enough that we were able to plot this video on this day. It's very exciting when stuff like that works out. But we do have some bad Netflix news. We're not going to burn through too much here because we already did a video about it. And we encourage you to go check it out. It was our uh, emergency podcast. Brian Konetsko and Michael Dante DiMartino are out of they're no longer involved with the Netflix live action adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender. Again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just thought, Chris, if you wanted to try your best to summarize our thoughts here, because we can't not talk about it. It's still fresh enough. We can't just ignore it in this cast. Yes. We we both hate it. We both wonder why Netflix do this. One thing they haven't been great at live action adaptions like Death Note, like Bleach, like um, Full Metal Alchemist. Those things were not great adaptions. They do have The Witcher, but even The Witcher was just good. <laughs> and The Witcher is an adaption of a book or a novel, which is, I think, easier to adapt than like anime or a cartoon. So, you know, I'm not going to give them credit for that anyway. And that was just good. 
I I didn't hate Bleach, but it wasn't good. There's a difference, right? I know yeah. what I like versus what's good. I didn't hate it, but it wasn't good. Um, I love The Witcher, and I would I'd probably give it a little more praise than you, but not quite as much as uh you know natural fans and of the game and such. But you're right; it's a different story. I can't think of a live at uh, a live action adaptation that's gone really well for them. I I don't keep up on this stuff quite as well as some people, but I don't know. We're all scared to get burned again. Yeah. But we yeah, have that, that's a big part of it. So we've been burned before and just hey Netflix, why not just do what the creators say? They say it was creative differences and that was the reasoning, uh, which is the vague term. The Mike and Brian statements say a lot that they weren't living up to their Netflix wasn't living up to their part of the deal and their vision of it wasn't in spirit of Avatar. Um, but maybe we have a little bit more information on this according to the website Fandom Wire. So I'll read what they, they, they claim to know why Avatar The Last Airbender's creators really left Netflix. So let's see. Also, I just want to shout out to Theo Brown. Um, he, he sent this to me like while we were recording our last podcast. <laughs> so because then they were going over this little bit of maybe information, uh, which I, I would just say take with a grain of salt because I really don't think we'll really know what happens, what happened until the show comes out. So they give three reasons why. So Phantom Wire spoke exclusively to multiple sources inside Netflix and the upcoming Avatar Last Airbender series has helped confirm the real reasons behind their exit. So that's what they say that they spoke, which could which could be like, oh yeah, I spoke to this person who knew a person who knew a person. But they were inside Netflix, one, like yeah, they worked in the cafeteria or whatever, you know, <laughs> to hear things. Reason number one: the budget. It says the creators wanted a bigger budget. This one is the least surprising since it's a common request for any showrunner. Filmmakers always wanted more money to properly build their vision, but Netflix felt it was already spending as much as they believed they needed to pull off the series they wanted. Um, it goes on to say that Michael and, and Brian worked in animation and are not as experienced in creating live action projects. It's not surprising that Netflix may have balked at the show's growing budget. I don't believe that because if because Avatar's huge... To me, if I'm Netflix, I'm within this Game of Thrones, I support it. And Brian and Michael's comments didn't make it seem like it had anything to do with budget. Um, and I'm not saying that maybe budget wasn't a small fraction of it. I could see it maybe being something like, well, you think it was budget. But to me, that's not any reason to quit, uh, to walk out on the show. Maybe some miscommunicated expectations from guys that came from animation, you know, over to live action, sure. But I just can't see... And this is purely bias, obviously, but I can't see Brian and Michael being the type of guys that would that would like waltz in and say, "No, we need this many dollars to do this thing the right way." It doesn't mesh with the other type of things that they have done. Um, but again, that's pure bias. Yeah, I'm talking with my microphone yeah. by my head, but I hope you heard most of that because I'm not going to repeat it. It was good <laughs> enough. Okay, I heard most of it. <laughs> good enough. Um, the next reason is the diversity of cast. It says, aside from reigning in the budget, Netflix also wanted the ability to consider some white actors for the series. This was a non-starter for the creators who were insistent that not a single white actor be on the series. <laughs> While some have criticized the creators, both white for their appropriation of Asian characters and culture, voiced predominantly by white actors, uh, whatever. Right. <laughs> Many find their take respectful and much needed shot of Eastern and Western representation. Uh, 
It says, uh, they say, they're going to say, we're told the casting decisions are still early on and that Netflix merely wanted the option to audition with an open net of nationalities, including white actors, but the creators refused. Uh, I don't necessarily buy that because I should have known what they were getting into. Michael Brown's pretty open from the, uh, the get go, what they're going to cast and how they're going to cast it. But, I mean, that's easier to believe for me than the previous thing, but yeah, I agree. It's hard yes, to Yes, that is easier for me to believe than this thing. Yeah. Now, here's where I think, <laughs> okay, I know, I feel like I'm, I'm cherry picking the things that I, that I agree with in this. I mean, I'm just, I'm just giving my opinion on it. And art, um, I mean, yeah, and obviously just opinionated, but it's hard to say how credible any of this is to begin with. So yes. just opinions on opinions. So then they say, so then they say the overall tone, which I agree with more. It says, while budget and casting issues can usually find a middle ground, the biggest issue by far was the fact that Netflix and the creators could not unify on a common overall tone for the show. Netflix currently wants to age up Aang, Zuko, Katara, and Sokka. They also want to separate the live action series from the animated one by creating a darker, mature tone with more romance, sets, and blood. DiMartino and Kokonetsuko disagreed and remained adamant that the show remained aimed at kids. While the two creators did each release broad statements explaining their exit from the show, Netflix released a statement as well, whatever, whatever. Um, so I, as we said before, I can definitely see that being the case, which I've, I've said before that they want to age them, that maybe Netflix wants to age them up, makes it, make it more, you know, sexualize the characters. I didn't mention blood before, but that also makes sense that they might want to add blood. Cause Mike and Brian aren't, from all my interviews, I've seen them in, I don't know the person at all. I would love to meet them one day. Please, Mike and Brian, uh, <laughs> come on the pod. I know they're not listening. <laughs> Listen, um, I know I you guys' don't, Twitters don't. don't have the little blue check marks, but we're going to at you. Come on the show. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I've never got the sense from them. They liked all that, like, gory type of stuff. I mean, um, half the reason, or not half the reason, part of the reason for something like bending is so that you can avoid that sort of uh, natural hand-to-hand combat violence in some regard, right? Like, I don't know, maybe I'm pulling stuff out of my rear end here, but that seems like part of the reason for bending is to like skirt around some violent things. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's all the reasons why they have, I think the reasons <laughs> I have a feeling, I don't know, just, just the way that I write like articles or, or things like that. I have a feeling that the first two ones weren't that big of a deal, even to whoever was talking to them, just because they want more content for the, for the, for the article, and they ended with, by far the biggest issue was the overall tone. So I have, I have more um, just clickbait kind of filler <laughs> stuff. Yeah, the filler third stuff, one, filler stuff, yeah, and the third one just. I'm not saying it sounds like Netflix necessarily in a negative way. Like Netflix is trying to do what they think is best for their overall business and trying to compete with. Like that one sounds sort of real and relatable from both sides. Like I, I get it. I'm not saying it makes it okay at all. I'm just it sounds the most real to me. That I I, I can see it explain a lot. Now that we're talking about skirting around violence though, you remember uh the screen junkies, the honest trailers for TMNT two, the second one where they point out they never actually <laughs> use the weapons. 
I just want it, you to remember because you ruined that movie for me and it haunts me to this day. <laughs> Thanks. For I remember exactly when I ruined it for you. It was a horrible day. <laughs> we were that, at we were at work and I was like, "Have you seen this?" That was probably one of my favorite movies, and it might be the first movie <laughs> I saw in theaters as a baby. Like I don't remember it, but if I'm not mistaken, it might have been the first one I saw in theaters as a baby. So you kind of ruined my whole life, but it's fine. I forgive you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh go watch our original video we we tried to respond as fast as we could uh yesterday uh, i guess wednesday august 12th we tried to make a video real quick put our thoughts together mostly it's mad but we'd love to hear your thoughts also maybe it's not all bad chris it's been a long time since we have just yeah. given you the opportunity to talk about your latest videos your latest youtube stuff um i, I don't have as much time to do as many videos before I have a newborn and a job and everything. Although I think I'm going to start making more time. I'm currently working on a couple different videos. Uh, the most last one I came out with was a Netflix Legend of Corey casting, but I had to just change that because if Legend of Corey happens, it probably won't be on Netflix. Um, or maybe whatever. Probably not. But I have the video out. Another video I'm working on is the untold story of Avatar Corey, um, video essay about him and why his story is, is so important. And then I kind of want to work on a quick video of who could possibly replace Ryan and Mike as showrunners for the Netflix series. So I've been doing a little bit of homework on that. That one really shouldn't take all that long, I don't think. Do you think they would go external, though? It seems to me like they would just grab somebody already familiar with the with the direction at this point internally. I don't um, know. Maybe not. I don't know a lot about the industry. I mean, I had that. I had that. I had that thought, but. No, Brian and Mike. Um, one thing they, they weren't, you know, show. They, they've never been showrunners for a live action show, so their experience wasn't all um, as much as probably Netflix would have usually won. This is a big property, so if I had a feeling Netflix, I could see them potentially being like, we need to bring in somebody to really run the ship really well. And the people that had and the people they left behind, I don't think those people are necessarily showrunners. They're, I'm sure they're writers and do other things. But I'm not sure there's a showrunner in there. Um, and so it's, it's pure speculation that they need somebody to come in and replace Mike and Brian as the, as the showrunners. I'll be interested either way and certainly keep more tabs on it than I would if anything else like this on Netflix. I'm very curious to see where it goes. That's it. Yeah. Um, I... I haven't really made any videos lately, but I did want to mention a while back I said I had a friend who wanted to try a podcast, and we tried it last week, and it was about Pokemon, and uh, which I realized as soon as we started talking about Pokemon that like it kind of makes you appreciate how great a story Avatar is when you look at some other very large piece of your childhood like Pokemon, and then we watch that first episode together, and you realize this is garbage. This is terrible. <laughs> it's horrible. And then um, I still love it. Again, not trying to trash that. But like I'm still watching it through right now because it's been a lot of fun. And I might actually ask him if I can do a couple more with him. I don't know if he – I think he liked it well enough that he wants to continue doing more in some capacity. Um, but it was a lot of fun. But it just gave me a new, a new level of respect for Avatar just because how much time I spent on Pokemon. One thing I will point out while I'm trashing Pokemon here, remember that the games came first. And everything else was secondary or tertiary to the game. So 
you know, it, it's not probably super easy to make a TV show about a game where half of it you spend grinding and the other half of it you spend catching bugs. So I get it, but wow. Wow, it's got some rough edges. So, uh, But anyway, yeah, I would uh, I would like to show people our Pokemon right. podcast. We had a good um, time. I'm laughing because apparently my internet stopped working for like 10 or 15 seconds. And you were talking all the time and I'm like, I heard nothing until, and then you're just catching bugs. You just, <laughs> you just totally froze, and all it was was me explaining that Pokemon started as a video game. So unlike most properties where it's a toy, and then you make a show to sell a toy, or you make a show purely out of a show or whatever, I know this started from a, a very simple video game also. So I was just trying to make up because I felt bad for trashing Pokemon when I, I love it. But it's a garbage TV show. But I look forward to Yeah, I'm going to share what we did um, at a bare minimum. Uh, to get some good feedback. And like I said, we both had a good time, and I look forward to giving it another try at some point. And that's all I got. I think if you are ready, I think it's time to kick off Korra officially, finally, two and a half years later. Can you hear me? Yes. You look like you can't hear me. Okay, you can hear me. Great. All right, let's do Korra. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Woo! Korra! All right. There's a picture. Legend. <laughs> necessary. <laughs> The Legend of Korra. I love. First of all, if if anyone's here to like just watch someone rip on Legend of Korra, that's that's not what I'm here for. I mean, I'm here to objectively look at it, but also I'm here to just be like, I love this show. Um, it starts off, I think, really well with. Um, wait, you say Katara tackles air? Did you, wait, Katara tackles air. <laughs> Airbending. Tries. Oh, you mean Korra? Not- Oh my goodness, I see what you're saying. Oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, you're right, I did. You know what I also left? You can see the little caption that I use because I pull all my pictures off the Avatar wiki. And you can see I forgot to delete it because it's in white, so I didn't see it down there. So nobody, uh, you know, mm-hmm. nobody look at the uh, video quality today. We had a long night, okay, yesterday. <laughs> it's been a busy week, busy week. Uh, I agree entirely. This, this, The first five um, minutes of this start off adorably and exciting it's both yes so it starts off white lotus in the north pole and they come to this door and you know they've been looking for the for the avatar and then they're like they're like are you sure your child's the avatar we search you know in the south pole we, i'm sorry we searched in the north pole we searched in the and even in the swamps and then her mother is like i assure you your search is over and then, all right, we'll show us the kid. And, and they're like, you sure the you're kidding? Is it? And they're like, Cora, come here. Yeah. And she, she <laughs> earth bends through the door and just says, I'm the avatar. You got to deal with it. And she water bends and she earth bends and she fire bends. Uh, Pop Billy Cora is so adorable. She, she got that little little uh, little kid rolls. What do you call those? Like the right, little so, baby fat cannon. So in, in my head, Canon, at one point, Kyoshi was like talking to somebody who didn't agree with her. And then she just said, I'm the avatar. You have to deal with it. And then Cora just instinctively picked that up. I could believe that, yeah. Um, and then it goes right into her firebending training, which oftentimes, you know, when people talk about Cora's fighting ability, I don't I think they underestimate 
her strategic thinking when fighting or her, her fighting prowess. Like she's been trained since four to be a fighter. Like she, she's just not, she's, she just isn't all brute force. Like in this fight, you see her thinking, right? This firebender guy comes at her, he jumps in the air, firebends. She sees that he's airborne. So she kicks his leg, knocks him out uh, off the floor. And then he's kind of down for a little bit second. Then she can focus on this person. And then at one point she jumps over, leaps over this person, throws a, a fire ball at, at him. But that was like more of a, what they call it, a, a feint because the guy blocks that one. And then she Just unleashes a bigger one on him. Yeah. Like you can see the wheels turning. Yeah. Just like, yeah. You can see the wheels turning in Cora's head of like what to do in a fight. Like, like often, I'm telling you, people sleep on Cora's fighting ability, even her her mental fighting ability, while they praise Aang of like, oh, Aang is a strategist. And so as if Aang is Batman or something, he can like <laughs> strategize his way out of something. But and I don't know why those... they would do that in particular. Just like so far to me, this whole episode, you know, we're like, what, three minutes in, four minutes in. And so far, everything about the episode has like existed purely to show you what a gifted fighter she is. And, you know, we've had yes. the conversation yeah. before, like the who would win, Cora and Aang. And I'm, I'm still going to stand by it because, you know, this is my second watch through. So my first episode that I've watched the second watch through. Uh, but I've always just said, you know what, nine times out of ten, Aang's just going to get away and she's never going to catch him. It's going to be a stalemate, which is like a victory for Aang. But it just feels like this whole episode, at least this early portion, like exists to distinguish her from Aang in yeah. this capacity. Like aggressive, coming out of gate, knowing three elements, full of sass. Exactly. Like, she's a fighter. She's... Yeah, uh, they do a lot of great character work here in this episode much more character work focusing in on Korra than story work which they don't really get into that until maybe episode three mm -hmm. um but yeah Korra and even the white lotus guy who I don't like this guy who, where does that guy he didn't from? act like a good white lotus guy at all <laughs> it's like um Korra's always excelled at the physical aspect of bending but you ignored the spiritual which is like well I didn't ignore it it just doesn't come easy to me um, Good answer. Yeah, and then <laughs> he's like, he's like talking to Katara. Like, do you think you really think she's ready? And Katara's like, yeah, she's ready. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, Katara knows. How about you take the advice of a waterbending master who knew the Avatar intimately <laughs> more than <laughs> trying to decide where you were going with that? <laughs> <laughs> who knew him? Wink, wink. Yeah. He. Yeah, I don't know who that White Lotus guy is, but he's he's not my White Lotus. Come on, man. Iroh would, Ira would have said, she's ready. Come on, dude. Yeah. Or he would have and helped also, her instead of just critiquing one or the other. Yeah. Um, and Cora's really adamant. Cora finally passes her firebending test. Um, and they still, and then Tenzin comes, and Cora's like, whoo, whoo, I get to move on to three elements down and one to go. So Tenzin comes and visits, which uh, great moment of being in the airbending kids. You're, you're kind of like, as the first time watching this, you're kind of like, oh, more airbenders. That's really great. Like really cool. Like little airbending kids. Um, and then there's the ultimate cock block of a story of Jinora asking Katara what happened to Zuko's mother because she's been like reading up on him. 
and then Katara's about to tell her the whole story and then Icky interrupts it by like just like doing a little kid thing where you ask a dozen questions and I love Katara's like like just looking at, the, at a child just like what are you doing like I know that look of just like when a child is just rambling and rambling you're just like Okay, how do I break <laughs> this train without ruining my kid's childhood? That, exactly. That's a, <laughs> it's a balance. I don't remember how he does it either, but then I remember their mom walking up and, and Katara's like, yeah, another little airbender because she's pregnant. She's like, maybe yeah. just one that can't bend and ruin my life. Yeah. Um, Poor mom. I forget mom's name. Him. And then Tenzin pretty much tells Kor that he's not going to be able to train her at the North Pole, which, so real quick, people say that Kor is hot-headed, she's aggressive, she doesn't listen to authority, things like that. And some of those things are, are true to various degrees, um, which is part of her character group. But there's a reason why she is like this. For grew up hearing the stories of Avatar Aang and how he saved the world, and she wanted to be the Avatar. She wanted to be a superhero. They trained her to be a superhero, and yet they didn't let her be a superhero. They, they caged her in the Southern Water Tribe, and the White Lotus um, treated her more like a something to be protected. And then, and of course, she wants to lash out. Like, Cora is 17 years old. That is... That's an adult, right? Marrying age in the Water Tribe is like 15, 16 years old, maybe. Or 17. She's a woman. And but she's still being treated like a little kid. Another opposite take of Aang. You, got, you mentioned these people are treating her like something to be protected when she wants to be out there. And it's like Aang's the exact opposite. He gets thrown into the fire. He'd probably have nothing more <laughs> than to just be able to hang out in the air temple a little longer. And be treated like a kid. Yeah, so just again, it, it just exists to contrast Aang to this point. That's what that's what I got to say. Um, about another this. point. <laughs> another point I wanted to bring up is that um, the Avatar, the Avatar, is supposed to travel the world and get a great appreciation for the whole entire world, but they kept her locked up and she didn't get that appreciation for the whole world. Like it's it's one thing to learn all the elements, right? That, that's part of being the avatar, but really part of being an avatar is not only learning the elements, but learning the cultures of people, getting respect for them, and gaining more knowledge and wisdom through them all. Like you can't just do that bottled up in your own little place. Like it's not Cora's fault necessarily the way she is, the way she is. Like, Aang traveled the world even before he knew he was the Avatar. He went to the Fire Nation, uh, Kuzan. He went all over the place. Went to Elmashu to visit King Bumi. The um, Kuwar is pretty much just stuck in Southern Water Tribe. And they probably stuck her there because for a couple reasons, which we'll, we'll get to down the line, but she was kidnapped at four years old, so they had to protect her. But also, you have to ask yourself, why, did, why was the White Lotus out looking for the Avatar. Like, they were very angry about looking for the Avatar. And that just didn't um, seem like White Lotus traditional role. You know, I don't remember yeah, how like, Iroh says it, but it's like, it's the higher society. It's like, not not Team Avatar, even, you know? Like, even the White Lotus and Rise of Kyoshi, you know, they're, 
they kind of just looked from a distance. They weren't like, although at one point Jimpa did says like, oh, we would have intervened if we knew you were the Avatar, uh, stuff like that. Fair, fair. But they were never, to me, they, they weren't um, that adamant about finding the Avatar. They're more like, hey, if, as long as the Avatar gets found and, and they know who that person is, you know, let them be what whatever. Um, but I think the reason why the White Lotus did this is because they're like, hey, the Avatar went missing for a hundred years. And when he came back, he was 12 years old and he didn't know how to bend three of the four elements. Like the world came back into balance barely, <laughs> barely. He didn't even master all the elements by that time. He got lucky that a rock poked him in the back and he was able to go into the Avatar state. Um, like we, this next Avatar, maybe they can be caught up and trained as fast as possible. So, trying to maybe compensate for for some potential guilt for a swing and a miss on not helping out with Aang, something like that. I don't know. It, I'm not a fan of of this White Lotus Lotus guy in particular, but he's eh, he's probably just doing his job. I don't want to bash him too hard. All right, so then Tanzan tells Korra that he's going to Republic City. Republic City is, uh, oh, I want to mention the opening. I love the opening. Oh, it's is stellar. It? The whole opening yeah. video. I'd show it here, but we got flagged for showing one like the first time we did it through, so I didn't even bother trying. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we got flagged immediately. <laughs> that was like episode um, one right there. Yeah. Uh, the opening is great. Tenzin does the narration for Oh, also I mentioned J.K. Simmons voices Tenzin. Uh, no kidding. J. J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson from Spider-Man. So he does a great job uh, voicing him here. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, much. So, I know in the first, in the very first episode of Avatar: The Last Airbender, it's a fuller video, and then they go to the shorter one. Um, this one feels more informative somehow. Like it's filling in gap in between the story that you just got done with and this story here. Like. I don't know why, but it almost feels like it plays a more crucial story role rather than just kind of exposition from the first one. I don't know. I really dug it. Yeah, yeah and then they don't they don't do they don't repeat it right at any all after that. <laughs> uh, just a short, a very short version of just yeah, very short version. Mm-hmm. Um, also, one thing I want, I want to mention is that the animation in Legends of Korra they raised the bar from Avatar like. Beautiful, like every single still, especially season one for some reason. Season one is really polished. The background's so beautiful. Season two, we'll get into, has some really weird spots because they switch to animation studios and they're back to really good animation in season three and four. For some reason, season one just stands out. Um, like, especially the scene of like Cora looking over, Cora being mad, right? Because Tenzin leaves, Cora looking over the cliff, like, and the sun is kind of coming down. I don't know, just the way it, it cascades, the light cascades off of her face. Um, and how she's just buried in her arms. Just really great animation. Agreed. Um, so then Susan leaves, and Cora's just like, all right, I have to go. And Katara gives her a nice little pep talk. And Cora says goodbye to her family, and she runs away. Which is a really, again, interesting dichotomy between Aang and Cora that Aang ran away to escape his responsibility. Cora 
ran away to be responsible. So to ran get away more training. or ran to essentially this giant crime fest. Yeah. Which is weird to say that she even ran away because her parents was like, all right, goodbye, sweetie. We understand. No, that's what I'm going to say. She ran like, too. She didn't run from. Yeah. But like who, like her whole life was so controlled that even her parents, she, she felt like she had to escape from the White Lotus essentially. Like how did she not get permission from her parents? Like who has a hierarchy here? She's, she's been so controlled by people her whole, her whole life. Um, okay, so she gets to she gets on Naga. Uh, Katara says goodbye, which is a great moment. Katara says, "Like, you know, my time has, has our time has passed. Ang is gone. My brother is gone. A lot of my friends are gone." Which, which is sad just just to hear that like Sokka's dead. <laughs> hadn't had to okay. think about it till she just said it like that. <laughs> All my friends are gone except you know Zuko. I guess yeah. he's somewhere. Mm-hmm. In this moment, reflects when Katara and Sokka left and their uh, grand-grand told them goodbye, things like that. Completely um, reflects that situation, mm-hmm. that scene. Um, awesome grandma. Korra gets on Naga. Yeah. Korra gets on Naga, her best friend, her polar bear dog, which is one of the original, right, even before Appa, because this was the first, Naga was part of the first sketch. Um, of like a, a Aang and a robot monkey and <laughs> and a, a bipedal Naga on two feet with like a, a sash or something. Remind me more of 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 a of Chewbacca than anything. <laughs> I, I was thinking like animorphs or something. It's messed up. The yeah. the robot monkey that that concept. <laughs> I'm glad that died. <laughs> you know it's. I guess- it was a sketch and a draft for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so then Cora gets to Republic City, and the first thing she does is Naga's hungry. She goes to try to get some food. And then <laughs> I like this hobo that she meets. Yeah, it's just nice interaction with a random hobo. Yeah. Like, Cora went. Fishy caught three fish. She firebanded them, and this hobo comes out of bush. Hey, can I get one of those burning fishies from you? And she's like, Yeah, sure. <laughs> she's like, Are you living in that bush? And he's like, That bush is what I do call my home right now. Isn't she a beaut? And on a, for some reason, interaction took just... me a while to find one this uh, yeah. <laughs> pristine, or I don't remember where he is, but and he's looking at it like so. It sparkles when he pride. looks at it. The bush like yeah. glows when he lures sparkles like glitter. Uh, did you put me on mute or something? Um, I just bumped the mouse so it looks like I was going okay. to. I swear I wouldn't. Uh, I'm at, okay. Not on purpose. <laughs> um, so then she how she get a lot? Oh, she goes to this place because she asks for money, or she asks just oh she's lost. She asks where she's at. Yeah, then he tells her, the cops show up and he says he can't fish here, so then she runs into the city and now she's trying to get some dough. Yeah, well, yeah, and then she was trying to, she got lost. She already ate the fish, so she wasn't hungry anymore, Uh, but she got lost, so she went to this shop, and these gang members tried to um, extort money from this little shop, 
and like I love I love I'm gonna beat your butt, Cora, because she's like, no hoodlums, like I'm gonna stop you. And then she's like, who are you? She's like, won't you come and find out? And then she earthbands at them. And I love the the shopkeepers are like, the watcher like, oh man, that girl's strong. And then she like water bends at them. She's like, wait, did she just water bend? And she fire bends. I think that girl is the avatar. And again, people underestimate how strong Cora is. Cora grabs this guy like fire bends at Cora. She grabs his arms and then she throws him like over, <laughs> over like probably seven yards in the air. Causing an inordinate amount of destruction that may or may not have been unnecessary. Cora, God. Yes. Yes, Cora stopped these people, but yeah, it was completely unnecessary, all the damage she did. Because then, so then the cops show up, they arrest the triple threat triads, and they also want to arrest Cora. Cora then tries to run away on Naga, but gets caught. Oh, we get an introduction of metal benders, metal bender cops, uh, which is an interesting development. I know a lot of people don't like one of the people's criticisms of, of Avatar, which I don't think it's a valid criticism. It's a valid thing not to like, but I wouldn't uh, levy it as criticism. Criticism is that a lot of people uh, know like advanced bidding techniques, like lightning bending and metal bending. And the way Brian was saying it, he was like, well, it's kind of like, like sports, right? He was talking like how high jumping is. I'm like, oh, well, the first time when the people used to high jump, they can only get like this far. <laughs> but then once the person realized this one technique you could do, uh, you know, like bending your whole back over it. And once that person did it, and then so many other people were able to build on that and it got just up and up and up. And that's how kind of bending was. Be like, um, imagine so the first guy to dunk a basketball and everybody else be like, that looks way easier. <laughs> that reminds me of of a uh, of um uh like and I think of the of the Will Ferrell movie old school where he plays basketball. No, he, he no, plays basketball uh, in like the seventies. Uh, uh, Semi pro. I don't know why old Semi-pro. school. Semi pro. Right. So his his mom played by I think Patty Labelle died, and she's like an angel, and she gives him a vision of a new basketball move. <laughs> And then they run the play. And then they do it in the game. It's an alley-oop. <laughs> the guy throws it to him. And he dunks it. And the ref is, and like the whole crowd is just like stunned. And the ref is like, technical. He's like, foul, foul. And then they're like, wait, what are you talking about? It's like, it can't happen. It, what just happened here? And then someone's trying to explain. It's like, well, no. And then he's like, foul. No, travel. They're like, it's not a foul. He, no one got touched. It's not a travel. He didn't take two steps. It's like, what happened? You know, this is a funny thing. I always, so I've thought about the first dunk quite a bit because in my mind, the first person to dunk a basketball was like this tall, gangly guy that wasn't really supposed to play sports. But then James Naismith is like, hey, you got to take a PE class. Come hang out here. And he didn't know the rules. So they threw him the ball and he just jumped up and, and kind of like and like laid it in there because like, oh, that's the easiest way to do it because he's smart and he's tall and he's goofy. And everybody else is like, huh, nerd. You're not even doing it right. And then that was the first dunk. And that's how it went in my head. It probably didn't go that way. Oh, man, I thought you were first telling a real story because no, I, I wish that you knew a lot about James Naismith. I, as far I've looked before, I have not found the story of the first dunk, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Someone should do a 30-30 for that. That would be amazing. I'd watch it. 
I uh, imagine that it was not done in in like organized play. I would imagine it was done, you know, uh, on a on a playground somewhere probably. I mean, who's the first person to like dribble between our legs? Oh, I just you've probably heard me complain about it before, but uh, like even dribbling wasn't introduced into basketball for like at first four or five years. And I just want to know like who the first guy like dropped the ball and it bounced back up in their hands and everybody laughs at him. He's like, no, I meant to do that. Watch. <laughs> just keeps doing it over and over again. Like, oh, we should we should bring that in. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad dribbling is involved. I can I'm the other way around, man. I would love to watch basketball sans dribbling. I would I would pay money to watch it. Just floor spacing and you're either gonna be a really good shooter or really good at running the floor or really tall. You're gonna be one of those three things to play basketball without dribbling. And I'm gonna love it. It's gonna be amazing. For for like once a year, do it like an all star game challenge, a 1900s basketball game, all star. Getting really tangential here, but the point It'll probably be when the, the NBA turns like a hundred years old, or basketball turns a hundred, which would be what? Wait, the NBA. It had to be the NBA because basketball was like 1894 or something like that. Really, 1894? Something like that. Okay. Uh, don't don't quote me on like the exact two. date, but. Like early nineteen hundreds, like early nineteen hundreds, was so. starting to spread out, maybe, and then oh, okay. so, but they like maybe the NBA. I'll have to look those dates because I'm sure I'm butchering them, but definitely early nineteen hundreds. So, uh, but the point that you're trying to get to is like, yeah, it seems that way, but like if one person does something really cool, and then other people find out about it, they find out how to do it because that's how people do things. That's how we live and grow. And that's um, why metal bender cops. So then, so she goes to she goes to jail, and this uh, <laughs> this officer is just like reading off all her charges and stuff, which is a lot of charges. And and Cora's like, um, she does the same thing that Aang does of, of the whole like get out of jail free card of I'm the Avatar type of deal. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny. But she um, gets no respect in there. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Cora says, "Can I speak to people in charge?" Like you're, you're talking to her. I'm Chief Beifong. She's like, "Wait, Beifong? Isn't Lin Beifong? You're the daughter of Toph. Her and Avatar Aang friends. They save the world together." And She's just like, ancient history, don't care. <laughs> like, Almost literally, she's like, what's that got to do with you? Uh, one thing I love, now I wish I would have raised this episode more because I'm thinking about it more, but I love this character dynamic because those two grow a lot throughout uh, this first season. Which I wish I would have saw more of that. I think season two, Lynn was really in it, and season three, more was going... Uh, season three, Lynn was she had a lot of issues, a lot of family issues she had to work through. And Cora helped out a little bit, but it wasn't it wasn't like uh, I just I w- I just want more Cora and Lynn moments. I like their dynamic to each other because they're a lot alike in a lot of different ways. And then Tenzin walks in, and there's another interesting <laughs> dynamic where there's clearly a history. And he's like, yeah. Lynn, you look great, but whatever he says, not quite like that. Yeah, pretty much trying to, to smooth her, smooth her over. Smooth, smooth, whatever. I always say smooth. I don't know what it actually smooth. is. That's where I'm looking for. Um, and then 
he pretty much says like he'll be take responsibility for her. And then <laughs> oh, this this episode's also memorable just because of the memes. <laughs> so when when Cora leaves, she's like, I'm watching, like I'm watching you. And then I know I think Lynn goes, I'm watching you, and then Cora goes, I'm watching you. And then <laughs> Lynn is like, what's that even what? <laughs> Just Lynn doing the what the heck? Just the pose. WTF pose. Yeah. yeah. It's semi-related. I'm so, I'm so, I've used. I'm so PG. What the heck? <laughs> it's the WTF pose. That's that's acceptable. Uh, yeah. Semi-related is I've used the uh, that's rough buddy gif. Um, it's in almost like every gif, like Facebook gifs, Twitter, Teams. I use Microsoft Teams at work, and you can always find a. Uh, Zuko saying that's rough, buddy, and I've used that probably three times a week for the past month, give or take. Ooh, really? Anytime Man, anybody tells a story haven't... that's like just you know somebody being a little extra dramatic or whatever, <laughs> I'm always ready to drop that one. Random side note: We finally got Microsoft Outlook in my job, and I'm using Microsoft Outlook. Out got it this week. Your job finally got Outlook. Yeah, they, they were using Lotus Notes before, and I'm what like, kind of caveman <laughs> nonsense. I don't know. Anyway, um, outrageous. Cora then explains to Tenzin like she thinks she belongs in Republic City um, because Avatar Aang would, would want it, and also she says like Katara thinks I should be here, and Tenzin's like, "Don't bring my mother into this." <laughs> oh man, I would love to just. I I need to. I need to go find some footage of J.K. Simmons doing tens and tens and rolls because he, he does a great job. Which is interesting because honestly, the voice acting is probably, for the most part, better in Legend of Korra than, hmm, you know, that's kind of hard though. Well, the standouts in voice acting in Avatar is uh, Grey Delisle Griffin as Azula, Dante Basco as as we go, Maggie Whitman does a great job also as Katara. Um, but there's mm. something no, that I'm no, going to give it. I'm going to give more credit to to Korra than Avatar, I think. Something I'm going to say for the animation and the voice acting alike, at least in this first season, it it would be very surprising to me if I didn't think it was better. Uh, it's You know, you can go back, again, go back and watch an episode of Pokemon from 1996. You're like, oh, that was my childhood, but it's not old. And you listen to it, you're like, voice acting is, is garbage in here, and part of that's translation or whatever. But it would, uh, there was a big enough gap of time in there that I would be very, would have been very surprised if I hadn't thought that the voice acting was higher quality and the animation was higher quality. And it didn't disappoint. I think they both were, at least in this one first episode that I've rewatched. Yeah. Uh, so then Tenzin agrees with Cora that she can stay in Republic City. And again, Cora is freaking strong. She like lifts up the three airbending kids and Tenzin. Like, I honestly think Cora is probably the strongest character. Yeah, she's like hugging them all three. And just... Like, Tenzin probably, Tenzin's tall. He probably weighs at least, and he's thick too. Uh, he probably weighs like 195, maybe 200, because he seems like he's like 6'3. 
and then, say, I don't know if I buy the thick, but yeah, I can see him weighing two hundred plus for sure. Well, there's just kids a scene of, there. just scene of him in season three with his shirt off, and he looks kind of like he has. He's fairly muscular. He has. He's the big guy. I mean, I wouldn't say he's a big guy, but he he's not skinny at all. He's uh, he's he's thick. Um, and then three other kids, which probably equals a total of three hundred pounds. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, a hundred pounds. So then. And all that together, like just lifting 300 pounds is is uh, pretty impressive. And, and you know, Cora herself is not tall, but they do a good job of making her somewhat physically imposing, and yeah. more in in sort of tone and animation than anything. But yeah, uh, and then she has a press conference, which so you know we learned. A lot in the, the Kyoshi novels that like the avatar was far more integral and I think important in those times. Like the avatar could like bless a new a new park, or it could like he could he or she could settle disputes between uh, land disputes between people. Um, people looked for the avatar for every I feel like every little thing, and Aang didn't do a lot of those things and. Cora didn't do a lot of those things. So, like, Cora's living in a new generation of Avatar, right? Lynn doesn't even respect her as the Avatar. Um, and, and now she has to deal with, like, press conferences <laughs> and stuff. And the press but conference scene is probably my least favorite just because it's, like, kind of mediocre-ish dialogue. But, you know, that's all right. I would say I think she does a I think she would do a much better job than Kill. She would she would have killed Probably, yeah. a press conference like Kill like, I'm the avatar and you have to deal with it. That's, that's what she would have said. That would have been her when she would have, Hey, nice nice full circle there. We had to pull that yeah. back in. <laughs> um no, it's fine. It was just a little bit of a lull for me. Um and that is oh, and then the episode ends with someone hearing the radio, um, which we didn't talk that much about this, but technology has greatly expanded from from the series, which I think makes complete sense. And yeah. it even lines up to like real world applications. Skyscrapers, wow. uh, motor vehicles, like legit skyscrapers. Those suckers look huge. Um, fair yeah, number like of motor vehicles going around. You see the radio. Uh, I think there's like cameras flashing and stuff at our press conference. Yeah. So they uh, go out of their way to show this tech detail in this episode, yeah. which which I I like and I respect that this show wasn't trying to be another Avatar: Last Airbender. It was really doing its own thing, and some people don't like that. Uh, to me, once you go in knowing knowing that's going to be different, it's a little easier pill to swallow. I didn't need to swallow that pill because I. I'm pretty accepting of, of a lot of things. Um, and also, I just love... it. Was, her first episode, um, it was... Uh, it did a good job introducing uh, the character of Korra and a couple of different side characters, specifically Tenzin and Lin. But, but yeah, that's... Uh, oh, I meant to say, so the radio, and then this guy started listening to the radio, and then the lieutenant says, like, this shadowy figure... <laughs> it has the back turned towards camera of like, what do we do now? The avatar's out. And then it's, the voice is so chilling. just like, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll proceed as planned. 
uh, a right. little oh. earlier or something. Well, it doesn't matter. It's not important. We'll start our plan earlier. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, like that. But it's a very chilling voice, and it's voiced by uh, Steve Bloom, who did the voice of Spike in Cowboy Bebop. He did the voice of Wolverine and Wolverine and the X-Men. He's done a lot of... He's a, he's a big name. He's like a legend in, in voice acting. Uh, unsettling Mask 2. Oh, that's a mom. nice... Nice uh, unsettling appearance overall. Yeah. And that's the end, I think. Cut to credits. The Air Temple Island note there just being that, yeah, Korra's going to stay at Air Temple Island in the oh, training. Yeah. Uh okay. In that case, let's, uh, let's also, go. Also, I want to say there's a, there's, a, there's a great statue of... No, I'll just say also there one there's a great statue of Aang. And if you listen to the commentary... Uh, over book one, Brian alludes that Toph actually built that statue of Aang, which is nice of her. Oh, that's cool. I, it's hard to picture Toph having like an artistic side, but I know that's me just being judgmental because she's blind and I'm being an asshole. The <laughs> I I deserve whatever I get. You are judgmental. I know, so, I'm being yeah. horrible. I mean, she but built does, the whole small Omashu. She does the whole small Omashu in the sandcastle, yeah. So, yep, that's just me being dumb. Um, is that the one? Don't you have the figure of the Republic City Aang statue in that kind of? Uh, yes, I do. Statue it of Liberty-ish, is... green, green, gray. Oh, um, up, no. up a bit. There we oh. go. Uh, wait, my phone doesn't need to charge anymore. Oh, good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there he is, Republic wait. Aang. He's a good-looking statue. I love the statue. This is my favorite statue of all my statues. Ooh, high praise. Um, yeah. yeah it's also my most expensive statue. statue. Like, actually, I remember when I bought it, when it came in the mail, my wife was like, how much you spend on that? It's like, $120. Some, uh, don't worry about it. But it was on sale. <laughs> it was originally $140. I, uh, I just took out like a couple hundred dollars from a certain account the other day that had like accrued some interest and it was like $200 and I took it out and I just told my wife and she trusts me so little that her first thought was, you don't get to spend all that on video games. I was like, no, that's not what I said. I'm just taking it out. But I appreciate where her brain went right away. It's like I'd earned that money somehow. Um, no, it's a great looking statue, and in the show, and especially in the opening scene, you get a real good view of it. Killer opening scene. We probably should have spent more time on it, but we're at the end of the episode, and it's a late night, so I say we skip that part for now. Let's go to the ratings. Let's ratings. Honestly, I think I might have been too low not, not talking about it. Um, Maybe. I visual yeah. um, eight. Uh, the thing about Legend of Korra, yeah, I would have... The thing about Legend of Korra, is that every episode pretty much, except for episodes of season two, a couple episodes of season two, could probably just get an eight and a half. Um, but I'm still comparing it to like Avatar standards because I want to I want to have a good comparison between the two shows. I guess, um, but I you know I say compare Korra to Korra just again you get to deal with. Uh, being... I thought we can compare them at the end though, and can can say distinct uh, can say decisively. Which one is the best show or has like the best season? We'll scientifically the best say stuff. that. I'm comparing, it to, 
comparing Avatar to to Avatar, but um, I probably should just gave this episode an eight and a half. That might be the floor for a lot of episodes. Anyway, gave it an eight. Um, there's just some great animation in it, which I mentioned before. Story gave an eight and a half. I thought we had a really great introduction to the, a lot of characters. Not much story introduction because that doesn't really come for season two. They lay a couple seeds there about non-bending, um, bending. Cora, I did mention before, she comes across this guy who has pamphlets about Amon and his revolution about um, non-benders rising up, which is a, a interesting question, interesting story point. They didn't go, they didn't dive down all that a lot in this episode, but still a lot of good character work. Um, I do think the original um, Avatar pilot did better character work with um, with with smaller um, opportunity, or it was way more efficient in its character development just in that one episode. And they did it through a lot of um, uh, dang, the word was just in my head exposition and everything. Yeah. Um, but still, good job here. Eight and a half. Memorable gets an eight and a half. Oh, no, it gets eight. Sorry. Gets an eight. Um, so it's a pretty memorable episode just because it's, just, it's the first episode. I, I remember loving it when it first came on um, because it was just diving right back into the Avatar world and things are still brand new. It's still relatively the same. It was really good to see how the world changed after Avatar Last Airbender. So brings it up to an 8.3 out of 10. I went 8 on audiovisual. Again, that might just kind of be a bar, but... Uh, you know, you get to see a little of Republic City and all that's cool and animation's good. So, I don't know, that could be a hair low, but maybe the bar. Story 8, uh, you kind of mentioned it. It's not that there really is a, a ton of story here. There's a lot of good introduction. It's what I would expect from a pilot, and that's fine. Yeah. And memorable, 8.5, I gave that a bump just because there are certain things about this that stick with me that uh, kind of set a tone for all of Korra, and that's that initial two minutes or so where she busts through the wall and she's like, I'm the avatar and you got to deal yeah, with it. Yeah. And I love that. And I don't know why, but the, the conversation with that homeless guy and pointing to the sparkly bush, like those <laughs> weird little things stick with me forever. And the introduction to Amon and he's a pretty solid, solid villain at this point. So gave that a smidge of a bump uh, based on my weights that brought it to an 8.2, which I don't think I put it in here, but obviously that would be an yeah. 8.25. Um, Actually, I think it'd be an 8.2 even because you were at 8.25. I was at 8.15. So average rating yeah. of 8.2. And that's the pilot. Uh, welcome to Republic City. Chapter oh, one. I want to Republic mention one, chapter one. real quick Jeremy Zuckerman's score. Uh, Jeremy Zuckerman, who did the score for Avatar, also did work for Legend Korra. And I think he gets um, much better than he gets. Well, he get, he, I mean, everything gets better with time, just like the animation in Legend Korra. Um, the music... It's very distinct in Legend of Korra, especially that inner city, like like he was, he was really, he was uh, very influenced by jazz in it of, of like the 1920s and, and that era, um, and also he was, I mean, also he still infuses a lot, a lot of uh, Eastern uh, Asian music um, in it as well, and the I, I love the closing of it, just that. Like it's 
it's beautiful to me. Like I, I love listening to that. Man, do we got to change our intro and outro noise now that we're on Cora? I never thought of that. We'll see. We'll see. That's work, and I'm very lazy, so it's toss up. <laughs> it's great though, and you know, it like I said, for if nothing else, you have to watch this video just to get that pure full intro that uh, that you won't get in the rest of the episodes because it's oddly, oddly informative. I mean, a lot of times passes seventeen years or however old Cora is since Aang died too, so it's got some gap to fill. I get it, but all in all. Uh, very solid, uh, very solid, very solid pilot in my mind. Does everything a pilot should. Um, I'm a little torn on ratings. Just as I mentioned, it's tough for me to think about rating this versus uh, Avatar because those certain things should get better. You know, voice acting over time, uh, animation over time, uh, music maybe not to the same degree. But you know, if Zuckerman is familiar with the world and he gets to flex his different muscles, like yeah, I kind of expect all those things to evolve in some sense. So it's a little tough for me mentally to 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 try to rate one versus the other. So I just went with my gut is what it amounts to on this one. Um, I'm assuming as we get a few episodes in, you establish a feel, um, sort of a base level. This is a little tough to set ratings on the first one here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But things, things are definitely going to pick up, especially towards like the later... Third half, third, third half, third layer, third. That's some <laughs> hockey third shit part. right there. I don't know what that is. <laughs> layer third of of the season, I think, really, really picks up. Um, I mean, the whole season's good, Absolutely. except for one episode that I don't like. But I think I I might like it more in in hindsight. I have no idea what episode that is because I couldn't tell you what most of the episodes in this season are. But I remembered this one pretty well, and I remembered that I liked it quite a bit. Court comes that out is the thing about strong. Legend of Court episodes. I don't feel like the naming schemes are as good as the naming schemes in Avatar. Like they felt really distinctive. Like Kyoshi Wars of Kyoshi. Like that, I, I can easily figure that yeah. out. But Avatar gets and gets to go more places. She's trapped in Republic City more True. of the time, and that so, lends yeah. itself better. I, just just guessing, but like the one no, you said no, is like right. Kyoshi. Yeah, that makes I mean, sense. Yeah. Ember Island players. Well, you know, they're in Ember Island. The Boiling Rock. They're in Boiling Rock. Siege of the North. Okay, they're in North. <laughs> now that I think about it, they, their naming scheme isn't as creative. It's just, hey, where are they at? It just works. But, I mean, it's it's probably better because it works better. But insert yeah. another John Mulaney joke here. It's like, we're going to call this episode Ninth uh, and K. And then where you want to go? <laughs> Ten blocks up, yeah. two blocks over? No. Uh, probably just lands itself better, I think. Um, but, you know, just a guess. That's yep. all I got to say on this. It was great. I was so excited. We've been waiting a long time. I forced myself to just watch the one episode. Um, I'm sure I'll binge in chunks at some point, but it was very exciting just to like get the teaser today. It's very enthralling. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, right. I'm excited for the world to get to know more of the legend of Korra. Go watch it on especially, Netflix. Go binge through it. If you're not yeah, doing especially one because, I mean... Cora, I feel like set, um, set, um, I guess set the bar for a lot of female empowered being not only not only shows female empowered, but being a show that is led by a female, a fantasy show, 
I mean, we've seen Shira come out since then. Um, a couple, maybe a, a few other shows, um, but Cora seemed to be a, a trendsetter. And if I missed one before this, I mean, there's plenty of other shows, um, you know, like maybe like Xena or Princess. Um, when it comes to animation, have we ever I'm talked about sure. Xena before? I have maybe once. Not like a deep we dark secret because I'm we not. Talked, we talked about we talked about Xena before because you were watching a bunch of it. At one yeah, point. it's because and say it's Sam Raimi or however you say his name. Uh, did the show and did I have a not like a secret thing, but yeah, it's like a guilty pleasure. I love Xena. I used to love Hercules when I was. I also love Hercules. Yeah, same, same, uh, same ballpark of television yeah. show for sure. Or, yeah, same Zena, universe. Yeah, Xena was a same universe. Yeah, same universe. Yep. Because yeah. she was kind of a, a I don't know his cat woman on I again guess. off again little uh, little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I've got a soft spot for Lucy Lawless. What can I say? But I loved her on Parks and Rec. Yeah, she's great. I'm just now getting. I'm watching Parks and Rec again. I'm just now getting to her her episodes. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tammy. Tammy one. It's Tammy one. So, yeah, that's what I got to say about Welcome to Republic City. <laughs> We're stoked. We're thrilled. So keep coming back every week. But first, go binge it on Netflix because it is there as of today. It is now August 14th as we speak. Go watch it there. Chris, thanks for recording with me as Blast, and I will talk to you next week. All right.